schoolroom, didn't it? <laughs> uh, David Heisler, I think you're up next. You're up now. And we have a new person. I'm sorry, what is your name? I'm, I'm David Robertson. Hello, David Hello. Robertson. Ah, welcome. Well, welcome back. Linda Gay, great. Yeah, yeah. This is John Bunting's sister, Linda Gay, Linda. sister. And, and, and there's Mike. Hey, Mike, you're standing up. I missed you. Welcome. You're on. Thank you. Uh, am I talking loud enough? Can, can you hear me? Is this working? No? Did I turn it off? That? Okay, now it's working? Okay, thanks, Tony. Um, it seems like uh, Jesus is a big orchestra leader because it seems like every, what everyone says is all coming together. So what am I? I'm like the trombone here or something like that. Anyway, um, I promised uh, Luli that I wouldn't say anything controversial today, so I had to take all that stuff out of my notes. So thank you very much. I'm done. I, I got nothing left. <laughs> nothing left to say. Anyway, you know, I speak for a living. I talk to judges and try to convince them of the most uh, unbelievable fact patterns and so on. And it's only getting up in front of this group that makes me nervous. <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to talk, um, but I uh, found myself sitting at the computer the last couple months just starting to write stuff. And so I'll just throw it out there and see what happens. You want to know about my shirt? I'm not dead yet, okay? Um, this is uh, from the play, uh, Monty Python's Spamalot. Anyway, in the opening scene of the play, <coughs> am I talking loud enough? Okay, in the opening scene of the play, um, the undertaker is, I don't know, in London or something, picking up dead bodies off the street, and they throw them, throwing them on a cart. So they pick up this one guy, but he was only sleeping. <laughs> and they throw him on a cart, and he says, I'm not dead yet! <laughs> So someone comes with a shovel, well, we'll fix that. <laughs> and uh, so it seems like, um, well, that's, that's kind of my story, you know, but every once in a while you need to shovel, I guess, you know. You are dead. That was my story. Um, uh, you, you know, I just I want to hit a couple of things real quickly. You know, I was saved on December 17, 1971, and... Um, between then and the next 13 months, I went through the Catholic Church, Southern Baptist Church, other. I was there. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I'm Jewish. See, that's the other part. If you don't know about that part. Too. And I was, but I had become a Catholic, a Southern Baptist. I, was, I got the Holy Ghost. I was speaking in tongues, everything. And then 13 months later, um, someone said, let's go to All Saints Episcopal in Fort Worth because this old missionary is going to be talking. And then I got Norman Grubb, and that was in, Jan I think, January of 1973. And, in and so I knew he was right, and, uh, but in 1980, I was a minor league football player, and I was running wind sprints along Lake Michigan in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and I stopped. And that's when it hit me, and I said, I'm dead. I, I am dead. And I just stopped, and I just, I'm dead. I am dead yet, okay? And that was the story. Um, and it seems then, then life comes from death, okay? Um, anyway, I wanted to um, 
just briefly talk about pop. Okay, some of you know about pop, right? Yes, yeah, some of you know about pop. Okay, anyway, um, he's uh, 88, and um, when he was about my age, probably right after I got saved, I told my dad, we, he was out in a garage doing something. I walked out there, and it was very difficult. But I, you know, I told him how I now believe in Jesus, you know, and um, I was not bar mitzvahed or anything, but we were Jewish, and he said, that's fine, but don't tell your grandfather, okay? <laughs> I disobeyed him. <laughs> I, well, I wrote, I, I sat down one day, and I wrote out Isaiah 53, you know, word for word, and I sent it to my grandfather with a, a letter explaining the whole thing. Anyway, that was about 1972. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, and we've talked over the years, and it just, it just never was connecting with him, you know. And so he was 87 a year and a half ago, and I'm thinking, I'm kind of running out of time here. So um, we were in, where's Elvis from? Memphis. We were in Memphis for, for a family wedding, and um, I, we were in a car together, and I just said, point blank, I said, Dad, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? you got to tell me. He said, yes, I do, with all my heart. And, um, and then when I went to see him um, at uh, last January, about a week or so before I went there, he said, I want to make it official. Okay? And uh, so I, he said, I want to get baptized. So I, I made some phone calls and arranged with the local Baptist minister to get my 87-year-old father baptized, immersed. And it was a, the family was there. And, you know, I have a... Big family, big blended, whoever was talking about big blended family, big blended family. Um, those who are, many live in Florida. So there was about, you know, 13, 15 of us there. And, I, you know, my, you know, one of my sisters was like, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> Pop's getting baptized. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it was, it was, you know, I just, to me, it's just like, this is normal. Let's go. You know, there's nothing abnormal about this. You get baptized anytime you feel like it. And uh, my father, so I went and I got him, you know, like my son also and I, we all wear the star and the cross. And so I got one for my dad. He has a star and a cross. And, but, you know, it's, it's so Jewish. He said, I want it to be official. You know, I want a piece of paper. So the <laughs> and now <laughs> when we met with the, with the minister, you know, he made a point of that. And so, so he said, don't worry, I'll give you a cer certificate. <laughs> So my dad has a certificate, okay, uh, that uh, he has been baptized and he's officially a Christian. Anyways, that's a, that's a story about Pop, okay? I have some good news. You know, you'll forgive me if I read a little bit, but, you know, like I say, this is, this is the only place that makes me nervous. I can stand in front of any judge with no notes, okay, and just talk. Um, I have some good news. The crucifixion was a complete and utter success. Yay! Okay, and as a resu result of that, the, the utter success of the crucifixion, we can just be ourselves. Okay, we do not have to become ourselves. We just be ourselves. Okay, so the name of our, the topic uh, for this weekend is Be Ourselves, and that's my topic. Be yourself, be the savior to your world. Okay, remember Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Okay. And uh, to be yourself assumes that you know who yourself is. Then you can be yourself. Yourself is his self as yourself.
Okay, and I'm just going to throw some things out like that. Um, and then I have to say, but that knowing your union with Jesus is, is not about us. Okay, and if that's what we think, I don't think that's what we think. But if it is what we thought, we totally missed the boat. Okay, because knowing who we are and being ourselves is about our life for our world. Okay, our little world, our big world. But it's not about us. You know, that's just the doorway. Okay, um, and the, the, the thought of to be yourself, it ought to be as simple as breathe, sit, allow your heart to beat. You know, it's almost inactivity. You know, but paradoxically, we all know that when you know who yourself is, it's great activity. Okay, you're active all the time. You're doing all the time. But it's activity from rest. Okay, um, the inner knowing that I am he as me. I think the, the, the topic of, um, of being yourself kind of dovetails into what I talked about last year a little bit, is that every human being since, the, since Adam and Eve has been standing in front of the two trees. Okay? On the one hand, and we, and we eat the fruit of the tree that we choose, and then we become that tree. You are what you eat. Okay? Um, on the one hand, we have the tree of life. The tree of life is Jesus. Choose him. We eat his fruit. Um, and remember what he said, that once you drink the water that he gives you, um, you will never go back to the well. And in fact, you will be a conduit of the river flowing through you. Okay? Uh, and we are a conduit of his life. We are an expression of him. We are him to our world. We just are. We just be. We just be ourself because we have chosen life. Life is not a thing. Life is a person. Life is the person. Life is the only person. We are in union with him. We are just Jesus. We are no one else. Okay? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the other tree, is a tree of religion. It's the tree of becoming versus being. It is a tree of striving, of imitation, of self-improvement. And God forbade Adam and Eve to eat of that tree because its fruit is death. Becoming versus being is death, not life. Trying and striving to become versus resting in the truth of union. The truth of who you are denies the complete and utter success of the crucifixion. I won't do that. I would rather be Jesus to my world than a cheap imitation to myself. Jesus... Uh, say it again. Fine. I would rather be Jesus to my world than a cheap imitation to myself. Say it again. You know, you know the, the kind of, it's kind of interesting. As I, I, I realize I'm getting a little older because I I'm, I'm tend to repeat myself. Did I tell you that I tend to repeat myself? Thank you for allowing me to do that. I would rather be Jesus to my world than a cheap imitation to myself. Jesus did not become the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Being ourself or being yourself is to be the Son of God, not to become the Son of God. For the most part, humanity has chosen not to be themselves. 
I was given an interesting thought lately. I am a human being, not a human doing, or not a human becoming. Okay? I am not becoming a son of God. I am a son of God. Again, don't get me wrong, a human being who knows who he is and knows he is an expression of Jesus will be doing quite a lot. But that's not who he is, and that's not who I am. Okay? He will be active always. He will not let the opportunity uh, to allow the river of living water to flow to others pass him by. Okay? I'll talk about the church for a moment. Some things I may uh, say may be considered critical of the church. When I say the church, I mean the official organizations, because we're the church, right? But Um, the answer is I am critical of the church. Jesus was critical. I think what bothers me bothered him. And what I, have criti- what I am critical of, Jesus was critical of. Okay? The hypocrisy in the temple and the local synagogue and the money-making conducted there. Jesus was critical of the hypocrisy and the business of Judaism. And I am critical of the hypocrisy and the business of Christianity. Okay? You know, and it, 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 it seems from the Bible that in the early days, churches were small home meetings. And when maybe one meeting got to be too big, they opened another home meeting. You know, and I was reading on the Internet about the 24,000-member church, you know, that meets in the basketball stadium, you know, where 99% of the people come and listen week in and week out to 1% of the people telling them what to believe and how to live. That's wrong. Okay, I, something is wrong with that. Okay, it, it's 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 not it's wrong. Okay. Now I've mentioned that my wife and stepson are members of the local non-denominational church. I think I told you a little story about the firemen last year. But anyway, I you know I I have I have enjoyed going to the church. I like the music and so on. But uh, I noticed in one Sunday morning they had a little thing about um, new members class that night. Okay, so I I had an idea. I will go to the new members class. I thought it would be like we would all sit around and talk, and then I would see if I could wedge some of that union stuff in there, you know. <laughs> and um, and uh, anyway, so we went to the class, and um, and actually it was it was about 12 people there who were ready to join the church, and then there was me, okay. And uh, so it was not so informal. The preacher got up like this, and he had some handouts. And he gave out the handouts, and, um, and, and there was three lists on the handouts. There was the list of about ten items each. There was a list of what you must believe. You know these lists? What you must believe, what you should believe, and what we're not going to argue about. Okay? So he said, well, everybody take a look at the list. You know, and this is pushing me close to the top. <clears throat> Now, you have to understand that, that I'm on good terms with the preacher. You know, I really go out of my way to talk to him and to try to... Okay, so he comes up to me and, Oh, Dave, got any problem with that uh, first list? And I said, Yes, I do. <laughs> and he walked away and that was it. Okay. And I have not been back since. Anyway. So anyway, so what you should... Uh, the short story is I didn't do in church. Okay. 
lists of what to believe are part and parcel of self-improvement Christianity, and it won't have anything to do with that. Okay, Jesus said, you've turned my father's house into a house of merchandise. Martin Luther, when he put his 95 theses up on the wall, was all about the Catholic Church selling indulgences, but which is, in any way know what indulgences are? You're buying forgiveness of sin. Okay? Any religion that, requi that is also a business requires membership, dues, life-changing programs where the parishioners are hooked for life. Okay? When being yourself means to go to a place to learn how to become someone more Christ-like or a better Christian, however you describe it, there's a problem with that because they never know who they really are. Okay? And, and, and let me just say that the, the and I, I talked about this a little last year, the greatest uh, lie, the greatest influence that the liar has in this world is, is not in the murder and the rape and the wars. It's in the church. Okay? When he keeps 99% of the people always becoming always learning, being discipled, being shepherded, you know, getting an amplified Bible. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so you could please speak. No, no, sit down. <laughs> so that, you know, so that we can get all these different interpretations of everything that we need to learn. Okay? And it just, it just stays right there. Okay? <clears throat> The history of the human race is one of becoming and not being. Okay. <clears throat> I talk about Jesus now, because I said if you should know who you are, if in order to know who you are, you have to know who He is. Okay, and I will say that human beings are the only ones that are not quite sure who they are. The entire creation knows who they are. Birds are birds, trees are trees, dogs are dogs, fishes are fish, human beings are confused. <laughs> and just like that little, that little uh, bug walking across the book, right, he's just being who he is. He's not thinking twice about that. Okay, and you look all around creation, you know, nobody's thinking twice about who they are. They're just being who they are. Okay. The truth is, we know we are Him. We are all Him. We are only Him. We are no one else. And when I say we, I'm talking about those who know their union with the Savior. And that we are Him to our world. And, and we're all a little different because that's what the body is. Okay? But to be ourself, we must know who he is because he is us. Paul Anderson Walsh last year made a very good point. I won't forget it. He talked about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and uh, at the beginning of his public ministry. And he said his tem the temptation that Jesus experienced, he experienced as a man and not as a son of God. Do you remember that? Okay, that was, that was a point he made. And he said because if Jesus had for one moment experienced his, his temptation as a man, as, sorry, as a son of God, and Paul said, and it's all over for us. You remember him saying that? It's all over for us if he had experienced his temptation as a son of God. That, what that means to me 
is, like Norman said, to live life with a wink. Okay, it's me living, but it's not, but it's really him. We're going to have to live this life 100% human. Okay, and him living as us, but still 100% human. I'm going to explain that in a moment. Okay, uh, as Paul said last year, Jesus went through his temptation and his death as a human, not as God. Um, if, if he lived above his humanity, my opinion would be he would not qualify as a savior. Um, that might be controversial. I don't know. But I'm not talking about him knowing his union. I'm talking about him living as a human. And I'm talking about the fact that he did not, Jesus did not live with the appearance of sorrow, grief, pain, suffering, hunger, fear, death. He really had human sorrow, grief, pain, suffering, hunger, fear, death. You can clap if you want to. That's okay. I'll take a break. <clears throat> and as the Savior to our world, we must know our humanity as he knew his humanity. That is to be ourselves. It is him living through our humanity. Jesus was 100% human. It takes nothing away from him being 100% divine. He knew he was a pure expression of the life within him. But that expression was through his humanity. He did things that no other human could do. Healing and raising from the dead. Although John Bunting healed somebody recently. Where'd he go? Okay, anyway, <laughs> but yet he, he could do those things. He, did what he, he didn't do that for himself. That was all for others. He, li he lived in his humanity, okay, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the, him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For me to know who I am, I must know who he is. Because he is me. I am more interested in what type of person Jesus was than in what he did, other than the crucifixion. Because that tells me what type of man I am. It tells me who I am. It allows me to be myself. So I must know him. I must know what kind of man he was. I must know what his humanity was. Remember, the multitudes followed Jesus because he fed them and he healed them. But the disciples followed Jesus because he had the words of eternal life. Now, I want to I tie this together. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but he lives in me. That tells me who I am tells me, that tells me who myself is, that I recognize myself as his self. But Galatians 2.20 is not the end of the road. It is the doorway it, it, to gaining the enlightenment of him as me takes me to three other scriptures. So Galatians 2.20 is not the end. It's the doorway. Okay? It's because now I know I'm him as me. Then the question is, who is he? Okay, what are those scriptures? Colossians 1.24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings. 
Paul rejoiced in his sufferings, not for himself, for you, and fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Verse number 2, John 11.35, Jesus wept. And then Isaiah 53. And I would say that, kind of, I keep Isaiah 53 in my wallet. If Isaiah 53 is all we had, I think that would be enough. If that's the only Bible we had was Isaiah 53, that would be enough. Because Isaiah 53 tells us who he is. It's kind of interesting. It tells us, you know, we get more of who he is, in my opinion, from Isaiah 53 than we get in the whole New Testament. That's my opinion. Um, I'm going to read some of that. And, and my op ophthalmologist pointed out to me recently that Isaiah, he's kind of interesting guy, he's a, from India. He's a Messianic Jew from India. <laughs> Dr. Boban Joseph, he told me many years ago, he said, David, God will watch your eyes and so will I. Very interesting. Um, he said Isaiah 53 starts in Isaiah 52. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man. Jesus is not that pretty picture on the wall. You know, the guy with the blue eyes and the sandy brown hair. That's not Jesus. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. I'm just going to skip around and read a few verses. For he shall grow up before him as a tender shoot and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And, and this to me is, is the top of the mountain. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. The use of the word acquainted is an understatement. God is saying a joke there. He's acquainted with grief. It's all he ever knew, probably. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, for he was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet he surely bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased him to bruise him. He hath put him, he hath put him to grief. This is, this is our story also. That's why I'm reading it. This is our story. This is who we are. Why do I quote these verses? Colossians 1.24, John 11.35, Isaiah 53, because they tell me about his humanity. They tell me who I am and about my humanity. I am not impressed with the miracles performed by Jesus. I am impressed by his tears, 
by his sorrow, by his grief, and by his pain. Jesus wept at the, at the grave of Lazarus. Just think about that for a moment. What sense does that make? Okay. Jesus was the only person that I know who could direct a spirit to go back into a body. The only one. Okay. And he knew he could do it, and he knew within five minutes he was going to do it. Okay. So why didn't Jesus just stand there with a big smile, big phony smile, and say, everything's going to be okay in a minute? Okay. Why didn't he do that? Think about that. Jesus cried. He wept at the, at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. Because his life was not for him. His life was for others. He wept because he was a human. He wept. He went through temptation as a human. He lived his life as a human. He died as a human. Now, what significance about Jesus weeping or being a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief? He grieved with others and for others because in his humanity, he knew his own grief. Why is he described as a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief? Why isn't he described as a man full of the joy of the Lord? You know, why, why is that description not in Isaiah 53? And isn't that what, our, you know, what Christianity teaches us? To be full of joy, happy all the time, have purpose-driven life, etc., etc. <laughs> you know, I don't know... I don't know what uh, Jesus experienced in life for him to be a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. You know, I know some people will say, well, he was real sad because people didn't believe in him. And I think there's some truth to that, but that's nonsense. Okay, his, his grief and his sorrow was very personal. You know, sometimes I think, I don't, you know, I have no idea. I make up a story. The story that I make up is that he and Joseph were, uh, were building a house one day. And Joseph, and Jesus is a teenager, and Joseph goes to the top of the ladder and says, Jesus, hold the ladder. And Jesus was a teenager, and he's fooling around with the ladder, and Joseph fell off and broke his neck. <laughs> that, that part wasn't funny. But <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you know, what maybe the death of Joseph, you know, and that was one thing. I don't know. But whatever was his personal grief and his personal sorrow was very real for him. Okay, um, and when um, when G when Lazarus died, his his grief was personal to him. Even though that within one minute of his weeping, he would he would put Lazarus's spirit back in his body. Okay. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to bring this to a conclusion, but I'm convinced that the common denominator of all humanity is sorrow and grief. To be yourself, to be the savior of your world, is to connect with people at this level. Okay? And, and, and I guess you really don't know what life is until you know sorrow and grief. You know, it's easy to connect with people at, at happy levels and, 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 and joy and happiness and so on. But Jesus connected to his world, to us, at the level of sorrow and grief. And the, and the thing, and we all know this,
But when the sorrow and grief happen, you know, and it appears negative, and it's all about me, okay, this is my sorrow, and this is my grief, you know, okay, <clears throat> and, and, but immediately, what happens at that point is you turn the corner, and someone comes into your life who's needier than you are, okay, because, because as your life is not about you, and Jesus' life was not about him, and knowing our union is not this, you know, our, our union party, okay, it's always about others. Our life is always about others. Our sorrow and grief, as Jesus' sorrow and grief and his humanity was his connection, okay, and that is our connection. And that's the point. And when you realize when, you're, when your pain is not about you, it's your connection to others. Okay, you cannot know another's sorrow and grief without knowing your own. Jesus could not have known our sorrow and our grief without knowing his own. Okay. Some people are called to Africa, you know. Some people are just called to be the savior of their own little world without going anywhere. And I think that that is the highest calling. Um, but it's, it's the hardest calling also. I... Every moment, every day in life, there are people who are searching and wanting to talk about real things and about eternal things. You know, and I don't always, but sometimes I put the star on the cross on the top of the tie, okay, and wait for the reactions, you know, because I want to talk to people, you know, and I get kind of interesting. <coughs> You're covering all bases, aren't you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am. Now, by this time, I'm a Messianic Jew. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Don't you? You know, and that's where the conversation starts. Okay. Um, I can trust him because what hurts me hurts him. My pain is his pain. My sorrow is his sorrow. My grief is his grief. And so then the question remains, why should they trust us? And who is they? They is our world. And uh, we are Jesus to them. We are Jesus for them. They trust us because what hurts them hurts us. Their pain is our pain. Their sorrow is our sorrow. Their grief is our grief. And you don't need to go out of your way to be, to be the savior to your world and to connect at that level. You need to get out of bed in the morning and just do whatever you do. Go to the gym, go to school, go to work. Okay? Being yourself and realizing that you are Jesus to your world, you will give up your life for your world. You will love your world. You will not be honored in your hometown. Jesus was not honored in his hometown. You will be misunderstood. You will be called a hypocrite and call yourself a Christian. And you do fill in the blank, whatever. You will be loved. You will be hated. The bottom line is to be yourself is that you know that you are his self. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something very corny right now, but I thought about this. There's a poem called Foot, The Footprints Poem. You know what that is? Okay, it's real corny, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care. Um, because it, it tells us not just the, the, the Footprints Poem was written, you know, Jesus for us. 
But the Footprints poem, then we have to take it the next step. It is us for our world. Okay? One night a man had a dream. He dreamed that he was walking along the beach with Jesus. You've all heard this poem? Okay, I'm going to read it anyway. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him, the other belonged to Jesus. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand and he noticed that many times along the path of his life there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened to be at the very lowest and saddest times in life. That really bothered him. And he questioned Jesus about that. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, that you'd walk with me all the way, but I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. Jesus said, my precious, precious child, I love you and would never leave you during the times of trial and suffering. When you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Take it one step further. As Jesus to our world, we must carry others. And we do. And in conclusion, the key to being yourself is to stop trying to become yourself. You know, the U.S. Army has it right. What's their saying? Be all you can be. They never say, "All oh, be all you can become. It's all be all you can be. The key to being yourself is to stop trying to become yourself. You can't make yourself anything. You can accept who you are. <coughs> Error would tell you that you must become an ethical, moral person with a value system. The focus of Christianity is in becoming a better person. Um, the key to being yourself is stop trying to become yourself. You are Jesus as you. You will never become him. You are him. This is not a process. This is a life. There will always be a point where someone will say, you know, you think you're perfect. How do you deal with sin, Mr. Perfect? And the answer could be, well, I suppose you could nail it to the cross. Oh, sorry, too late. <laughs> to be yourself is to be himself as yourself. You already are. Just accept it. To be himself is to be the savior to your world. You can't make it, you can't make yourself so, you already are. But you will be called to carry others. Just do it. Um, you could be misunderstood. Someone asked Paul, so you're saying you could just sin and do whatever you want? I forget where that's located, you know what that is. And, and have you ever been asked that question? And I suppose the answer to that question is, you know, I could, yes, I suppose I could just go around sinning and hurting people. You know, how realistic is that? The bottom line of error is to take your eyes, is, is to take your eyes off others and focus on yourself. That's the error. He is love. He is for others. He lives as us. Therefore, we are for others. Whenever you turn your focus back on yourself, you lose your way for a moment. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish now. I'm a golfer. Not too good. But there, there's a saying on the golf course um, about commit to the shot. And what this means is, in golf, is when, when you, you walk up to you, you think about what you're going to do, you walk up to the ball, 
and you commit, okay, and you hit the ball. And, and uh, you realize this is real, this is not practice, you know, you get one shot, okay, and life is the same way. You don't have to go out of your way to be yourself. Whatever you do, wherever you are, there he is. He is in you, as you, ready at all times to meet the needs of others. Trust, the, trust that reality. Commit to the shot. Thank you.